So we've been in a series uh, before I get too far into it. We've been in a series called Harnessing Your Emotions. And we've taken a couple of breaks because of Mother's Day and then Father's Day and then a bunch of other things. So now we're kind of back into it. We're in the groove again. And I want to continue where we left off talking about how to stay in joy, how to stay positive in this world. How do we remain in the joy that Jesus told us that we could remain in? And so I believe that this will will help us as we go throughout life and we experience circumstances and tribulations that the word says will be coming, but Jesus said, be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So that's what we've been talking about. And we've been honing in here in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verse 20 through 21. This is where we, we got this from. And Paul's writing to, the, to, to Rome and he's listing a series of progressive steps that a person will take. Um, and they will become someone who is completely against or contrary to receiving things from the Lord. And so it says in verse 20, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. Someone say clearly. Clearly. means you can see them. They're not hiding. They're not blurry. They're not muddy. You can see them clearly. His entire creation, his attribute, who God is, is embedded into his creation. The trees, the clouds, the ocean, every single thing about his creation. You and I are, are, are living, walking organisms that talk about God's goodness. His entire creation is, is preaching and has a ministry of telling us about him. It says, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So no one in this world has an excuse to say, I never knew about God. I mean, people say that all the time. Now, what, what about the people in third world countries? What about those in, in Africa? What about those in, in those islands that, are, that no one's ever been to? And there's, there's people who never heard about God. What about them? The Bible says that his creation is witnessing about him so that no one is, has an excuse. So I don't, I don't know what you think, but I know what the Bible says. And I care about the Bible more than I care about what you think. And, the, and, and we don't have the, an, any excuse to say that we don't know God. Now, there are people who, who are in these other countries that don't have civilization like we do. And they make these gods and they make these idols and they worship these things and build temples. And all of them, for the most part, have the same thing in common. There are three different gods. One god manifested in three parts. And they worship the wrong thing, but they have the principle. They have the right principle, just the wrong God. And it makes me wonder, well, where do they even get that that knowledge in the first place? From creation, from God. See, every person, born again or not, we are all created with a homing device on the inside of us that says there's a God and you need to know him one day. There is a God and you need to have a relationship. And all of us at one point had that homing device, that homing beacon that that was trying to nudge us in the right direction by giving us a conscious knowing that if I do something wrong, that's wrong. That conscious inside of us that God put in there is the homing device that's trying to get us on the right path. And the more and more you go against that, the more and more you start ignoring that feeling of, oh, I shouldn't be doing this, the less and less sensitive you become to that homing device. And the more and more you start drifting away and drifting away to to the point where you eventually become completely ignorant and no longer care about this right and wrong. You no longer care that you're away from God. You no longer even think about God. You're at a point where you have no conscience of God. And it says in verse 21, 
It's, this is a list of steps. It says, because when they, they knew God, in other words, they had an idea that there was a God, they didn't glorify him as God. When they knew him, they knew he was, there was a God, they didn't glorify him as God. Neither were they thankful, but became futile or vain in their imaginations or thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So the first thing they didn't do, or that they did, was not glorify God. Then they didn't be, they weren't thankful. Then they became vain in their thoughts, and then their hearts were darkened. All of these are a progressive step that someone will take, and, and at some point, you have to complete step one to complete step four. You don't just wake up with a darkened heart. You don't wake up with a, a vain imagination. You don't wake up with unthankfulness, but you do start with not glorifying God. And, and the way that these all work together, and I'll, I'll get to it in a little bit, but the way that these work together are, are one step after the next, after the next. You can't skip them. It's a progression. And you have to start with not glorifying God. So how do we reverse it? If these are, are steps to lead someone away from the Lord, or if, the, if these are steps that, that a person takes to distance themselves from that, that into a knowledge of God, how do we reverse it? Well, it's simple. Just do the opposite of all these things. If they didn't glorify God, what do we do? Glorify them. If they weren't thankful, what are we? We're thankful. If they had a vain imagination, what do we do? We have a positive imagination. If they had darkened hearts, what do we have? Enlightened hearts. You see, they're all steps that we just reverse, and that will lead us to the fullness. That will lead us to, to have this knowledge and the, to acknowledge everything about him. Because it said that they didn't glorify him as God. In other words, when you're in a situation where something good happened, but you say, oh, that wasn't God, that was me. You just did what they did. You didn't glorify him as God. You know, deep down, you know that was not you. You little worm, you couldn't do that. But what you've done was say, no, I, I, that was all me. I did that. You didn't glorify him as God. And because of that, you can't be thankful for what just happened because it was you. Are you going to thank yourself? You can't thank yourself. That, that, that just doesn't even work. So there are all these steps. And the last step that we're dealing with today is the foolish heart being darkened. In other words, this word is, is, is meaning it's, it's to cover the metaphorical eyes. It's like when you have... have um, uh, blinders on a horse, so, or, or when you uh, put these glasses on, there's this prank show that we used to watch, and these people used to put these sunglasses on, but the inside of them were completely blacked out, so they'd put the glasses on, and, and they'd have to pretend that they could see while these other guys told them what to do, and it got them into trouble, but they couldn't see anything because their eyes were covered. When you put the blindfold on, you don't know where you're going, right? And that's what it's referring to metaphorically to your spiritual eyes, to your heart, that when, when you get to this last step, your heart becomes darkened. It becomes covered. Your spiritual eyes become covered, and you can't see the things of the Lord anymore. You can't see his goodness. You don't receive any of that anymore because you have chosen to cover your heart. In other words, having a darkened heart meaning you have no more revelation. You have no more revelation of his goodness. You have no revelation of his love. You have no revelation of what he's done for you. You don't have a revelation of God like you would if, if you did the opposite of these things. And what a revelation means, sometimes people get thrown off by that of revelation, and they think it's just this crazy spiritual term, which it is, but in reality, it just means you turn the lights on. Having a revelation of God, mean, it means that you just now see what God's been trying to tell you all along. It's like if we turn off all the lights in this room. Every single person's still here. The chairs are still here. I'm still here. The, the uh, instruments are still here. Everything is still here. But to a person who's never seen this room ever in their life, if it was pitch black, can they guess what's in here? 
Can they see what's in here? But once the lights turn on, they can see everything. In Revelation, it's not so much that this, this information is new, that it just became new. It's just new information that God has. It's been there all along. You just couldn't see it. That's Revelation. And so when, if you look at the word revelation, it's like revealing something, taking the cover off to reveal something. And so that's what this point is saying, that their foolish hearts were dark and they no longer receive revelation. And this is so important for us never to get to because without this, chaos exists. Without having a revelation of God's word, our life will be chaotic. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 Reading out of the King James, it says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk. In other words, Gentiles meaning someone who is not a Jew, someone who is not a, a Jew, a child of God. Don't walk like the world. Don't walk like the unsaved. Don't walk like the unbelievers. And how do they walk? In the vanity of their mind. What's vanity? Things that are vain. It's things, it, if you look up the, the definition, the translation of this word, it, it means emptiness. It means having nothing in it. In other words, it's being transient. I'll get into that in a little bit. But that's the way that the world walks. They have a vain mind, a vain imagination. Verse 18, having their understanding darkened being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their hearts. See, this is the world right here. The world, are, they are walking blindly. They are navigating life blindly. Why? Because of an imagination. See, it's a progression of steps. You can't have a darkened heart without having a vain imagination, without having vanity in the mind. And because of that vanity, it causes people to walk blindly all around the world. These progressive steps, is a, uh, it, it, they all go hand in hand with each other. I'll give you this an example. Your heart will go backwards. Your heart will be darkened if you have a vain imagination. And you'll have a vain imagination if you're not thankful for what God's done, and if you're not thankful for what God's done, you can't glorify him. It, it, it all stems from the first one. Glorify God in everything. Give him praise for everything. Put him, esteem him in his rightful spot. And when you do that, You'll be thankful for what he did for you last week. You'll be thankful for what he kept you from a week ago. You'll be thankful for all the goodness that he's given to you without you deserving any of it. You'll be thankful for that. When you're thankful for that, your imagination, instead of it saying, oh, God's never done anything for you, so why would he heal you now? God hasn't done this before, so why would you be prosperous? Instead of that, you'll start thinking about all the things he's done, what you've thanked him for, and your mind will be full of good things. It'll be full of things that he has done for you. And because of that, you'll have more revelation. If God did it for me then, he'll do it for me now. It's a step, a progression of steps. And again, you don't just wake up with a vain imagination. You don't just wake up with a darkened heart. You've, you've progressed there. You've, you've trained yourself to get there. Mm. Thank you, Lord. Like my son, he can't just walk tomorrow. He needs to progress to start walking. He needs to get on his, on his belly and start scooching around everywhere. And then he needs to start lifting up and start crawling around. And then he needs to start grabbing the couch and walking along the couch. And then he needs to start walking. But, I mean, if you, if you just have a baby that comes out of the womb and just starts walking right then and there, that's a miracle. <laughs> and, and I want to hold him, so I don't want him running around yet. So I don't want that miracle just yet. 
He has to progressively learn how to walk. Amen? Amen. And the same thing here. It's a progressive step. And and the other way, we don't just wake up with our hearts enlightened to all that God has in one day. It's a step. It's a progression of steps. You start first by just glorifying God in all things. Be thankful for everything that he's done for you. Use your imagination for the good. Start thinking about all the things that his word says. And then you'll start noticing, man, revelation after revelation. I've seen God do this. I have God's working in my life. God gave me this word of knowledge today. And you'll start operating in that over time. It's a progression of steps. I want to read it out of the Amplified Version. Ephesians chapter 4 says, So I say this and I solemnly testify in the name of the Lord, as in his presence, that you must no longer live as the heathen, the Gentiles do, in their perversiveness or perverseness, in the folly and vanity and emptiness of their souls and the futility of their minds. See, people in the world, they think that Christians are dumb. They think we're the fools. They think we're the ones who don't know what we're talking. You believe in a God that you've never seen? Oh, that's foolish. And, and they, they label us and they characterize us as the dumb ones and the brainless ones. We, we just live life without thinking and we just put faith in something and we don't actually think about anything. But the reality is, and what Paul's saying here, they're the dumb ones. They're the ones that don't use their brain. They're the ones who don't think. You mean to tell me that you believe that our entire world and our creation just evolved out of some asteroid hitting another asteroid, making a perfect sphere with an atmosphere, water, land, mountains, vegetation, animals, human beings with trillions and billions of cells and atoms and molecules operating perfectly to give you life? You think that just happened out of nothing? You think that just happened because some dumb rocks? You think we formed out of an ape? How come all the apes are still apes now? How come they're not turning into humans? You seriously think that all of this is just happenstance and that there is no creator, even though everything on this earth that is, that is here had a creator? This didn't just appear. Someone created it. But you think that this entire complex world just appeared? That's stupid. They're not thinking logically. They just think it all happened. Logically, it makes more sense that someone did all of this. At least someone. If they don't want to believe in in our God, whatever, but still have the logic that somebody made this. Someone created everything. That's more logical than not. And that's what Paul's saying, that the world... They live in the futility. They live in the vanity, in the emptiness of their mind. There is no thought, there is no direction in their heads. They're just going by the whim of the wind, and they're, they're, they're not living with any thought. You know, another example of this is sin. Sin is stupid. Ask any person who's in, in jail right now, anyone who... who ruin their marriage, or ruin their ministry. Ask any of those people what they were thinking when they did what they did, and they'll tell you this. I wasn't. I wasn't thinking. Everything that we do that's sinful, all sin is dumb. If we logically thought out the sin that we were about to do, we wouldn't do it. We wouldn't want to reap the consequences. We wouldn't have to go through the hurt. We wouldn't want to have to go through all the bad things that would happen of the sin if we just thought about the consequences. But people who indulge themselves in that aren't thinking. They're feeling purely emotional and there's no logic behind anything that they're doing. And the people of the world, they're just indulging themselves in sin because they're not thinking. But that's what Paul is saying here, that the lost ones, not the believers, They're the ones who aren't using their brain. And if we're not careful, we can operate like them. That's why Paul said, don't walk like them. Don't do it. Don't walk 
with a vain mind. Don't walk with, with a darkened understanding like them, meaning it's possible for us to do that. It's possible for us to get distracted and start walking like the world. Because if our minds operate like the world, we're going to get the same results as the world as well. Verse 18, the Amplified Version says, their moral understanding is darkened and their reasoning, reasoning is beclouded. They are alienated, estranged, self-banished. I love this translation. God's not the one banishing them. God's not forsaking them. God's not putting a distance between them. They're doing it themselves. They're self-banishing themselves from the things of the Lord, from the life of God with no share in it. This is because of the ignorance, the want of knowledge and perception, the willful blindness that is deep-seated in them due to their hardness of heart to the insensitiveness of their moral nature. I like the word here, the hardness of heart. He, he, they uh, switched that out with the darkened heart. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Having a darkened heart is the same thing as saying a hardened heart. A heart that that's, is hardened. It's not able to receive the things from the Lord because it's a hardened heart. So whenever you see darkened heart, darkened understanding, hardened heart, they're all the same. They're, they're in the same um, description. But the understanding that she's talking about here can be translated as the deep thought. The deep thought, the things that you dwell on, the things that you think about, not just a single thought, not just something that pops into your head, a deep thought, something that, that is you ponder, you meditate on, you think about uh, comprehension, judgment, discernment. All of those things is, is referring to the understanding. But their vain imagination is distracting them from even going to their deep thought. That's why it, their understanding's darkened. It's empty. It's vain. Have you ever noticed that people in the world, they don't like to, to sit down and just think for a long time? You ever noticed that? They, they have to be constantly entertained. People who, who can never sit still and just think and dwell and, and listen to their thoughts, it's because they have none. It's because there's nothing really on the inside that's, that's making them wonder. And so they have to be distracted by things because it scares them. They have to be distracted by, by this and, and by this and, and this amusement and this entertainment and this show and this, that, and, and going here because they can never sit still because they have a vain thought. They have a vain imagination. That vanity is translated to transientness. You know, the people who are homeless and they're, they're out in the streets and they're doing things, they're, they're called transients. The reason why is because they're, they're never at the same spot for that long. They're, they're always moving from place to place. They're always going from home to home. They're always going from this to this. They're never, they're never in a single spot for a long period of time. They're just going with the flow. And that's how people are thinking. Their, their thoughts are just going with the flow. They don't have anything that they stick true to. They don't have a thought that they just stay with. They're just going with whatever. And that transientness, being of that mind, it will, will take you away from what the Lord wants you to do. The Bible says multiple times to be still and know that I am God. Just sit still for a little bit. Amen. Be still and know that I am God. In other words, if you sit down long enough and just think, logic's going to come in to say there's a God. If you just sit down and, 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 and meditate on the word and just think and think and just have no distractions and just sit there and be in peace, man, you'll, I can guarantee you're going to hear a bunch of things from the Lord as opposed to being distracted all the time and always going from here to here and never having a single minute of just thinking. You'll never hear from God that way. But when you just sit still and be quiet, 
Don't think about what's, what's coming up later. Don't think about lunch. Don't think about the game. Don't think about this. Don't think about the kids. Don't think about the, the animals. Just be still. I can guarantee you, you'll hear more from God than you have in your whole life. Thank you, Lord. In Psalm chapter 32, it says, Do not be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with a bit and brittle, or else they will not come near you. See, horses and animals, they think, right? They think, but they don't have understanding. They just think. And a lot of people in the world, they, they think, but they don't have understanding. There's so many proverbs that talk about getting understanding, how understanding is so important that you should have knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. Like you, you need all of them. You don't just need knowledge and you don't just need wisdom. You don't just need understanding. You need knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. You need them all. In the proverb, it says, get understanding with all of your getting. Get understanding. Get that deep thought. Get that, that part of you that's able to process and discern and make judgments on. You need that part of you. Thank you, Lord. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus, he um, was with his disciples. In verse 1, it says, Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to show him the buildings of the temple. And he said, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when are all these things going to be? And what will uh, be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to him, to them, take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. You will hear uh, wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet, for nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilence, and earthquakes in various places. All of these are the beginnings of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. You will be hated by all the nation for my name's sake. And then many will be offended and betray one another and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Stop right there. So Jesus is talking about the end times. He's talking, go back to the other verse. I said stop. There's a lot of things that are, are going to be happening in the end times. And go back to the last verse, please. Verse 11. Thank you. So all of these things are going to happen. And, and this is the end times of, of the world before Jesus comes back. He says all these are going to happen. Oh, there's going to be famines, pestilence, false prophets rising up. There's going to be so many things that take place before I come. But he says these things all have to happen. They all have to happen before I come. In other words, it's going to get a lot worse than it's going to get better. All right? It, sorry, but life is going to suck for the world for a long time. And uh, I don't know why we all like to think that it's going to get better, that, oh, the world's going to get better. We're all going to sing kumbaya. We're all going to love each other. It's going to be awesome. No, it's literally going to be horrible. Like, it, if you think it's bad right now, just wait. Wait until you see what happens right before he comes. It's going to be hell on earth. So we're living in a good day right now before all of that's happening. And some of these things have been happening. I mean, we've heard of rumors of wars. We've seen wars. We've seen all these things. And Jesus, he was saying, all of this must happen. And we might think, man, that's, that's horrible. Wars, rumors of wars, famines, pestilence. He said we're going to get killed, that people are going to hate us. Man, that's the worst of the worst. But the last verse says, because of lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow 
cold. So he doesn't just end it with all of that hard stuff. He doesn't just end it with, it's going to have famines and pestilence and false prophets and and martyrs and, and tribulation and this. He ends it with, because lawlessness abounds, the love of many will wax cold, will grow cold. In other words, lawlessness, iniquity. Because iniquity is abounding, the love of people, the love that people have for God I don't care about the love people have for people if it's not in God. We just talked about that last week, remember? It doesn't matter if you love someone. You need to know if God loves you. You need to know that love first before you love people. So this isn't talking about the love that many have for each other will grow cold. No, the love that people have for God will begin to wax Cold. In other words, it's a picture illustration where you dip a wick in a candle many times over until you get that fat candle. It's a process of over and over and over again before people's hearts become cold. No one just wakes up with a cold, waxed heart. It's a process. Just like no one wakes up with a hardened heart. It's a process. And because... He said, because iniquity is abounding, the love of many will wax cold. In other words, because there's so much sin and there's no control of this sin, because there's so much lawlessness, because of all of this stuff happening, the love for the Lord will begin to diminish in the believer and the unbeliever. Not just the world, but the believer too. You see, we have to remember God wrote the Bible for the ones who would believe it. He didn't write the Bible for the ones who would reject it because it does them no good. He wrote it for those who believe it because putting faith in his word is what gives us the benefit. Not just reading the word. It's putting faith in what you're reading. So he wrote it in a blunt way. He wrote his Bible for his children only. Not for, not for not the people who aren't his children. We're not all of his children. The, the world is not all of God's children. God's children are the ones that have accepted him. Those are God's children. God loves everyone. But legally, oh, I love the Bible. I mean, God, God has made things legal. Legal. Legally, we're God's children. Because legally... Jesus bought us with his blood, and then he signed the covenant with his blood. So he adopted us legally. So it's not written for the world. It's written for the church. It's written for his his believers. Paul didn't go write Romans and Colossians and Ephesians and Philippians and Corinthians and Thessalonians to, to the lost world. He wrote them to the church. And when Jesus is talking in Matthew 24... He's not talking to the unbeliever. He's talking to his disciples. He's talking to us, to Christians, to believers, his children. And he says, because of this this love or because of this iniquity, the love of many will wax cold. I can guarantee you Jesus did not have a concern for the love that the world has for the other lost people. I, I really don't believe he cares how well an unbeliever can love someone. I think he cares more about the believer loving people. But that has to stem from God's love to the believer. So it's important that we break things down. We don't just skim over scripture and go, oh, he said love here, so love everyone. No. The love that we have for God will wax cold because of iniquity. And and obviously because of that, the love for people will begin to dwindle down will begin to wax cold as well if i don't have a love for god i don't have a love for you if if i don't love god there's no way i can love you absolutely no way so we, we we focus too much on on the people people are important don't get me wrong but we i'm until we have a revelation of of this first this is ineffective 
But he says, because of a lawlessness and iniquity, the love will grow cold. For the unbeliever, because of the sin that they're a part of, that the, that's just their lifestyle, that's just what they're around, that's just what they indulge in, that's who they, they surround themselves with. Because of that, it's, it's just blocking their view of God even more and more and more and more and more. I was talking to a good friend of mine, and he was saying that, um, that his, his, someone he knows is, is very interested in, in coming to church, but they don't know about church, and they, they've been to religious churches before, and they just don't want to be pushed and pressured and all that stuff, and they don't know what to do, and he, and he doesn't know how to help her come to church without sounding pushy. And I was like, listen, no, she just needs a good friend who's already in the church, all she needs. She needs someone who's a Christian who loves God, who loves, I didn't tell them this exactly, but she needs someone who's a Christian who loves God so that they can love her properly. That's all she needs because then when she sees that, well, she'll want to come. She'll, she'll want to be a part of that because she knows the people who are there. She knows the person who's been influencing her, who's been loving her, regardless of who she is, loving her and being there for her, being that positive influence. What she doesn't need she doesn't need to go back to her old friends who surround themselves and indulge themselves in the things of the world because that'll keep her from wanting to experience that relationship that the other one has. And so the world, when they're surrounded by all of those things, mm, I, was just, I was just talking to Stephanie a week ago. I know someone really, uh, really well and um, he, has, he has a partner and I talked to him about the Lord, and I talked to him about church, and he says he's been to every church since he was a kid, and all these things, and he, he's heard everything about church. And I'm like, you haven't been to my church yet. <laughs> but I love the man. He's, he's a good man, and um, he bought our son a, a Bible. Oh, man, he's awesome. But I was talking to him, and uh, where was I going with this? I have, a lot of, I have a lot of stories with this guy. I'm trying to find the right one that I was talking about. Um, no, we're not going to church. Oh, so I was talking to him, and, and he has a, he, he's, has a homosexual lifestyle, and um, it just it hurts my heart knowing, knowing him. And I mean, he knows I've, I've ministered to him, and he still likes me. He's still around me. And... Um, it just hurts knowing that he, he hasn't fully received it, but there's, there's been seeds planted, and I know that for sure. But it, it's, it's just, I was telling Stephanie, what if he does receive the Lord? What if he does understand what the Word's talking about? What if he does accept Jesus? His entire life would have to change because and I'm not even joking, all of his friends, and I've seen them on Facebook, I've seen them on, on his posts, all of his friends are of the same lifestyle. Every single one. The drag queens, other partners, and this and that. They're, that's just who he's surrounded in. And so I was telling Stephanie, even if he does become a Christian and become saved and accept Jesus, the chances that he stays in fellowship with the Lord with his current group of friends, I give him a month, unless they all disown him, which they probably would. But it, he would have to completely take himself out of that entire life and start a brand new life as an over-middle-aged man. And I started thinking, man, like, to, to, to him, that's impossible. I've already lived most of my life. I have to start over? And I mean, for us, it'd be easy. He'd be here, and we'd accept him, and he'd come to our family events like everyone else does. And he, he'd, he'd find friends and, and love people in no time if he did it. But I'm just, I was just thinking about that, how, how hard it would be, not for him to accept Christ. That's the easy part. 
but for him to continue in it with all of his influences. And that's what it's talking about here because of lawlessness, because of it for the unbeliever, because of what they're surrounded by, the lawlessness of their life. Oh man, that love for God, it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard to recognize it, let alone keep it. But then for the believer, the, uh, the Bible talks about in, in uh, where is it? I believe it's in Hebrews about Lot. I'm sorry, I don't think it's in Hebrews. Where is it? Second Peter. It's in Second Peter. And it talks about Lot when he left and took his family to the land of Sodom and Gomorrah. It says that Lot vexed his righteous soul because of all of the sin he was around. Because of all the lifestyle he was around. It says his, his righteous soul, his spirit was vexed. In other words, it was frustrated. It was in turmoil. It was, it was like watching someone do something that they shouldn't be doing, but you have no place to tell them anything. It's like, oh, don't do that. And we can get to a place that we're surrounded by so much lawlessness and so much iniquity that our hearts, we're vexing our own soul. We're vexing our own spirit. And our hearts become hardened for our love for God. We still love him. We're still a believer. We're still in fellowship. But I can guarantee you, the Bible says that evil communication corrupts good behavior. In fact, it says, don't be deceived. Evil communication corrupts good behavior. So when we're around that stuff for so long, it'll start to build up. It'll start to callous our heart for the love of God. Nothing I've said today deals with God's love for you. Your love for God. I hope you've seen that today. I've been very clear on my entire life and message. It's never about God loving you because that's already done. It's about how you love him and how you receive his love. And when, you're, when, when the unbeliever is around iniquity, it blocks them from receiving the love. But when, when believers are around iniquity, it calluses their heart to receive the love that they've been given. Does that make sense? Yes. Mm. In Proverbs 29, 18, it says that when there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. And we, we like to use this for like Vision Sunday. Another translation says, well, there's no vision, the people perish. But the context of it, remember, if you have to keep the context in all the scriptures because if you take the text out of context, it just becomes a con, right? So we're going to keep this in context today. Where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. A revelation of what? What God wants me to do? The big plans he has for me? How much I can dream for this? No, no, no. Happy is he who keeps the law. How does that apply to Revelation. When there is no revelation of right and wrong, the people cast off restraint. In other words, the people go crazy. There's a story in the book of Judges that I encourage you to find. I'm not going to quote it to you. Go find it and read it for yourself. It's, it's a crazy story of literally someone, a group of people wanting to rape someone. They end up doing it, and they kill them, and then that person chops this person up into 12 pieces and sends them out to the 12 tribes of Israel. It's crazy. It's in the Bible. But the, sometimes people ask, what the heck was that even in there for? That's a weird story to even share. The purpose behind that story is to show, number one, where was it written in? The book of Judges. So what, it, what could it be referring to? Not having any laws. Having a lawless society. Has anyone ever seen those movies, The Purge? About movies about lawlessness. No laws for 24 hours and people can do whatever they want with no consequences. They're crazy. That's exactly what happened in this book of Judges. There was no laws and the people cast off restraint and, and crazy stuff happened. We need laws. We need spiritual laws. We need we need. Laws here as in, in, our, in our country. We need laws all around us. Even God said, 
wherever the foot, the sole of your foot treads upon, I will give you. But it was limited in an area. Don't you remember that from Joshua? Joshua said, you can go as far as this river to this river, from that to that. And wherever you go, I will bless you. You step out of that, that boundary, you can't expect God to bless you. God gave you limitless blessings in a limited area. See, within even the law, Jesus said, love God and love people and you'll fulfill the law. But it starts with loving God. Without revelation of God's goodness, without, we can put this, now we read that in context. We read that in context. It said, without revelation, the people cast off restraints, but happy is he who keeps the law. We don't have to keep the law like that anymore. We don't have to, to read the Ten Commandments and, and, and keep that every single day. We're going to fail. But what we do, if we do what Jesus said to do, love the Lord your God and love people, we'll fulfill the law. Happy is he who keeps that and fulfills that. Amen? But it starts with loving God. And when iniquity abounds, the love for God of many will grow cold. Mm. First Corinthians, Paul said, we see, we see in a mirror dimly already. We, we look through the glass dimly. Did he, did he not write that, church? He said, we already see dimly through this mirror. He's talking about knowledge and understanding before that. If we're already looking through the glass dimly, and it's already hard already, why would, would we want to make it any harder for us to see through the glass by being around this kind of stuff? It's already hard as it is, he said. Why make it harder for ourselves? Why walk as the Gentiles and make life even more difficult? Mm. I'm preaching here, but I'm not hearing no amens. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. So what do we do? We're trying to refrain from having a hardened heart, a darkened heart. Philippians chapter 4. Paul says, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Meditate on these things. Things. Well, Matthew, I don't know what are things that are true. I don't know things that are noble. I don't know things that are just. I don't know things that are pure. I don't know any of that stuff. Well, I'll give you some examples. Number one, you have the fullness of the Godhead living on the inside of you. Colossians 2.9. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Number two, you have the ability to walk as Jesus walked on this earth in this life. 1 John 4.17. Love has been perfected among us that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. Number three, you have the same spirit of Jesus Christ living on the inside of you. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 19. And what is this exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? We have this working power on the inside of us. The same spirit that rose him from the dead dwells in you. So there's three things right there you can meditate on. You're welcome. If you've been coming to this church for more than a month, you should have way more than three. But these are things that we should think on. These are things that we should dwell on. And when we dwell on them, we'll receive revelation. Mm, thank you, Lord. If you truly believed what the Bible had said about you, you would overcome anything that comes your way. No weapon formed against me will prosper. If you really believe that, who cares about what's happening? It didn't say, now listen here, it didn't say no weapon will be formed against me. It said no weapon that is formed against me will prosper. Now you just make sure you're not the one forming the weapon. All right? You don't want to make it more difficult than you. You don't want to rebuke you. Don't form that weapon. But we, if we really believed what the Bible says, and that believing comes with meditating. God told Joshua, if you meditate 
on this book of the law day in and, and day out, all day long, then you will make your way prosperous and then you will find success. Not then I'll bless you. You will find success and you will be prosperous. But it requires us to meditate on these good things. In John chapter, uh, or I'm sorry, Proverbs chapter 4 verse 20, it says, My son, give attention <clears throat> to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Don't let them depart from your eyes, but keep them in the midst of your heart. That word, incline your ear to my sayings, is like, have you ever seen like a, a horse or a cat hear something in the distance and its ears just go... That's like, that's how attentive we're supposed to be. That's how our ears should be when it comes to the voice of the Lord. You know, you can't see radio waves or television waves or, or microwaves uh, with your, with your uh, physical eyes, can you? But you know they're there. And when you have a, a radio that has a, a tuner on it, you have to tune it to the correct frequency for those radio raves to, to line up so you can hear what's being broadcasted, right? Well, God, in a sense, has been broadcasting his signal for us for thousands of years, and he's telling us things, and he's trying to get our attention. He's trying to tell us certain things and, and tell us what his word says and give us revelation, but our tuner is way over there listening to something else. You incline my ear incline your tuner tune your radio so you can hear what god's trying to broadcast to you but you have to do it in john chapter 10 jesus said most assuredly i say to you he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs up another way the same as a thief and a robber but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep to him, the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet, they will by no means follow a stranger, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of a stranger. This is something that the Lord showed me a while ago. I thought it was pretty funny. Anyone who, uh, who, who knows like emergency code or, or military police code in here when, when they tell you something and then uh, dispatch is trying to communicate something to you and, and you respond saying you've acknowledged it. What's that code? 10-4. Well, can you put it back up on the screen? John chapter 10, verse 4. When he brings out his sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Jesus goes, come on, sheep, and the sheep go, 10-4. <laughs> Acknowledge. I hear you. He just showed me that. It's my revelation you come to hear, right? But you have to know his voice. You have to know it. He says he calls them by name and he, he, they know his voice. There's a lot of voices that are speaking to you. A lot of them. But you can discern which one is his over any other voice. It's by taking time in his word, by meditating on his word, being in prayer and fellowship with the Lord, you can identify if it's him speaking, if it's you speaking, if it's the devil speaking, or if it's a friend speaking, you have to discern. Is this the voice of Jesus or is this the voice of someone else I don't want to listen to? Thank you, Lord. If I can have the band come back up. My last verse, I promise. Mark chapter 6, verse 30. Mark chapter 6, verse 30. I told you an offering to keep, keep a certain scripture because I was going to come back to it, and here it is. But this time I'm going to read a little bit more of the backstory. 
Thank you, Lord. It says in verse 30, the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. He had sent his disciples out to go heal people, cast out demons, do the work of the ministry. So they did all those things and they came back to him. And they said, this is what we did, Jesus. Here's our report. And it says, he said to them, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going and they did not have time to eat. So they have you ever done something throughout your day and you just forgot to eat? I do that all the time. But that's what they did. They were so busy doing the work of the ministry. Now they were doing more important work than me just forgetting to eat. They were doing the work of the ministry and they were out healing and casting out demons and doing awesome stuff. And they got hungry, but they forgot to eat. It says in verse 20, uh, 32, they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. But the multitude saw them departing and many knew him and ran there on foot from all the cities they arrived before them and came together to him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep, not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. When the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, there, this is a deserted place and already the hour is late. Send them away so that they can go eat something. And Jesus said, verse 37, you give them something to eat. And they said, shall we go buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? But he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. When they had found out, they said five and two fish. And he commanded them to make them all sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in ranks in hundreds and in fifties. And when he had taken the loaves and the fish, he looked up to heaven he blessed it and he broke it and he gave them to his disciples to set before them and the two fish he divided among them all. So they all ate and were filled and they took up 12 baskets full of fragments of the fish. Now those who had eaten the loaves were about 5,000 men. So this just happened right before the storm on the sea where Jesus walked on. Feeding 5,000 people with just five loaves and two fish. It's a miracle. Verse 45 says, Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side of Bethsaida while he sent the multitude away. When he had sent them away, he departed to a mountain to pray. Now when the evening had come, the boat was in the middle of the sea and he was alone on the land. Then he saw them straining and rowing for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by. When they had saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and they cried out for they all saw him and they were all troubled. But immediately he talked with them and he said, be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Then when he went up into the boat, the wind ceased and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. Two miracles just happened back to back. Jesus first sent his disciples out to cast out demons, heal the sick. Then he fed 5,000 people with 12 full baskets of remaining food for the disciples. And then he went and walked on the water Peter walked on the water, it's not mentioned here, but Peter walked on the water on top of that, got back in the boat and the wind and the waves were calm and the disciples were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure. Wow, holy moly, Jesus, how did you do that? You have power? Who else would be amazed to see that? Careful now. It says they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure. Most people would be. Most people would be amazed and in awe of what God just did in their life. We keep reading. Verse 52. For they had not understood 
about their loaves because their heart was hardened. They didn't understand what just happened. And it's because they forgot. They forgot what Jesus just did. They forgot that he just fed 5,000 people. And so when he came up on the scene and, and, and calmed the water, they were amazed. How can you forget what just happened? How do you forget the same day what God just did? Because of a hardened heart. Their heart was hardened. You got to give these disciples some grace. The reason why they were so troubled in the sea was because they forgot about the miracle. They didn't remember that Jesus fed the 5,000. So because they didn't remember it, they didn't glorify him. Because they didn't glorify him, they weren't thankful. Because they weren't thankful, their imagination was working against them and they were thinking they were gonna drown. And because their imagination wasn't working for them, their hearts were hardened. See, this happened to them, this progression of steps happened to them within a day. They still loved the Lord, but they had a hardened heart. There are so many things that God's done for you, but your heart's hardened. You haven't received it. The Bible says hope deferred makes the heart sick. There are certain things that people have been believing for, whether it's healing, financial, freedom, a family member coming back to the Lord. There are so many things that people have been believing for, but because they haven't seen it, the Bible says hope deferred makes the heart sick, meaning I haven't seen this for a while. I don't know if it's ever going to happen. But the Bible also says that don't be weary in, in well-doing for you will truly reap if you do not lose heart. If you don't faint. If you stay with it. A hardened heart won't receive the things that God has for you. There's a time in my life where I was believing for healing and I wouldn't see, wasn't seeing it. So my heart got hardened. I'll just live with this forever then. I'll cope with it. If God doesn't want to heal me, be careful. It's a hardened heart. And it wasn't until I heard about this, the Lord showed me the effects of a hardened heart, that I had to repent. So Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for letting external things dictate what I believe. I'm sorry for letting other stuff in this life tell me who you are. But when you start the process, I'm going to glorify you in everything. I'm going to glorify you. Even if I don't see it happen, I'm still going to glorify you. I'm going to glorify you for everything. Like Paul and Silas in the prison cell at midnight. I'm going to glorify you, God. I don't even care if we get out of this place. I'm still going to glorify you. And when you see it come to pass, you better be thankful. Oh, Lord, thank you so much. Thank you for doubling our income. Thank you for healing me from this five years ago. Thank you for showing me your goodness at the age of five, and I can receive you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for for keeping me from this. Thank you for this. Thank you for protecting me from, from this happening. Start using your imagination for good things. Start thinking about what God's done and what he's going to do. Stop, start thinking about his word, what his word says, those three things that I gave you as an example. Start envisioning things coming to pass in your life. 
Thank you, Lord. Why don't we stand on our feet this morning? Thank you, Lord. There has never been a day where God has not been faithful. There has been a day where I've messed up. There's been a day where you've messed up. There's been a day where you weren't faithful. But there has never been a day where God has not been faithful.